Good morning, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well. How are we doing? Well, I hope. Good, good. Um, and Pastor David's going to sing this year at the talent show, so we're very excited about that. Um, yeah, I'm very excited. Um, all right, so uh, just a few, um, I'm going to get in trouble for that later, but a few uh, quick things before we uh, turn things over to Pastor David with the missions update. Um, just continuing, saints, with Israel and everything that's going on with the protests in our country, the pro-Palestinian uh, protests that are taking place, everything, I just want to make sure and remind us that we are in prayer daily and praying for salvation for souls that are, are lost. And again, you can look at this and try to figure out, okay, what's the roadmap? When is the rapture happening? What's the exact time? Let's not get lost in that. We know what we're seeing, biblical prophecy, the stage is being set. We could look at Psalm 83 and try to see if that's what's going on there. Is this Gog and Magog? Don't think so based on what we see scripturally and the context that that will be set. So again, wanting us as a body of believers focused in prayer for salvation. Prayer for salvation and an urgency. May that urgent fire be lit within all of us to be sharing our faith, who he is, how he impacted us, and, and go from there. That said, we are prayerfully working on uh, putting together something that will help equip us to look at end times, to look at anti-Semitism and other things like that, and how do we evangelize as a body of believers. So there'll be more coming up on that. And talking of sharing, talking of doing the work of, of evangelizing, the text I want to share before uh, Pastor David comes up here is Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age." Amen. And that's a precious promise that we have. That's the great commission that we have. And if we think about the urgency of this time and the times that we're in, it's something we all need to be seeking to do. Um, and we have a chance this morning to get an update on the latest and last missions trip that was taken place to India with Pastor David, with Dan, and with Ava. And what's beautiful with this trio, our, our little missions trio team, we get a concrete example of three people with three sets of gifts from the Lord taking their gifts and responding to the calling, each one having a different charge on the trip, but each one having to share, each one praying with people, each one pouring over the people that they're meeting, the women that they're meeting. In Ava's case, each and every single one of them, we see them taking those gifts and obeying. The obedience that comes with that, the obedience with comes, and in that obedience, there's some sacrifice. It's a long journey. It's a sacrifice of being away from family. It's not exactly like they're going to a place that's excited for the gospel to boldly go forth. There's risk in that. And then you take the context of what's going on globally, there was further risk in them traveling during these times. But it's a sacrifice that lies and relies on the power of the Holy Spirit to do what they're called to do, because as we've seen in Acts 1-8 repeatedly, he equips us to do that charge. Um, and it's timely that we're doing this, because today is the start of a month dedicated to prayer for the persecuted church. 
And today is, again, that start of that. I suggest Voice of Martyrs um, to the body. They have some great resources so you can be in prayer over the course of the month and, and delve into those things. But it's a blessing that here within our body of believers, our little church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, gets to extend its arms through this. Um, so I am excited to hear about this update. And for those who are visiting for the first time, Pastor David's actually the founding pastor of the church. Um, so it's just, it's exciting to get him up here and hear his heart and hear everything that the Lord has done and get Dan and Ava up here to share also. So let's open up with a word of prayer and then bring them on up. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this morning and this time that we can be together, Lord. And Father, we do pray for your bride that is persecuted all over the world, Lord God where it is a challenge for the gospel to go forth. Lord, we thank you for the faithful laborers who are serving in that capacity, Heavenly Father. We thank you for different organizations like Voice of Martyrs, like Persecuted Church, that are doing the work of getting out there, Heavenly Father, to, to spread the gospel, Lord God. And thank you for the work that this body was able to do. Thank you for Pastor David, Dan, and Ava's obedience, Lord, to your calling, to using the gifts that you've given them for your glory, Lord, to pour out on the people of India and all these conferences that took place and I just pray that you are with them right now and, and guide them and equip them to be able to share all that took place. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see your smiling faces again from this direction. Um, this trip... Uh, for me, it was 16 days. For Dan and Eva, it was even longer because they had uh, something they had to do in India before our mission started. But um, we've, been, we've been engaged in ministry as a church in India since 2017. That's when we made our first foray over there. Dan and Eva have been involved much longer than that. Uh, and it was something that, as the pastor of the church at the time, I never saw coming. I always thought that we would be involved in missions in our hemisphere. I actually thought at first it would be Haiti, uh, and, uh, and, and the Lord spoke to me and said, uh, not Haiti for now, I'm going to send you this Haitian guy later, you'll have plenty of ministry with him later. <laughs> so, so it wasn't Haiti, uh, and, and by the way, you're going to be playing guitar at the uh, talent show, so. <laughs> so. In my business career, I traveled all over the world. I, I, I've been, I can't even count how many countries I've been to. The one country I never did business in was India because it was too hard. Uh, literally, it was too hard. Uh, the, the requirements that they would put on a foreign uh, corporation to come into their country and set up operations, it just it was astronomically difficult. Never been there, didn't really know much about the people. And so it was a surprise to me when the Lord placed on my heart and on the heart of the leadership of our church that India would be the focus. We can't do everything. There's worthy ministry everywhere. But as a church of our size, or any size, you've got to make choices. And you've got to listen to the Holy Spirit. And he will point you. He will direct you. He will open doors for you. And, and um, Dan and Eva coming to our church and, and many other things that fell into place just opened this beautiful subcontinent filled with people who love the Lord. Well, a portion of them love the Lord, and the rest are an opportunity. So before we start uh, talking about what, what happened there, uh, as I've often done with these, with these trips, is that I put together a four-minute video that'll just give you a sense of the place, the faces 
the things that we did, the things that happened, the beauty of these people, to me, is breathtaking. And so if you would bring down the lights and um, we'll, we'll watch the movie. Your church is beautiful Your church is broken But you are holding us together in your arms At times we are shaken
So it gives you a little bit of a sense of the uh, kind of the sights, not so much the sounds, but uh, I have to say, uh, of all of the mission trips I've been on in my life, this one was the most impactful one that I've ever had anything to do with. Uh, and I, I speak from the standpoint of just what the Lord did in my heart. That's always the most precious compensation for doing these things is how the Lord changes you. And, and to see the, uh, the church in another part of the world in as different a culture as you could imagine and see the same Holy Spirit and see a hunger and a thirst for the word of God, it's, it's truly humbling. Um, I want to remind us why we do this. And Vince already uh, tapped into uh, the same spirit, uh, which we, uh, we all worship. But Jesus said this during his famous Olivet Discourse. Jesus said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, there's all kinds of different interpretations of what he means there. Does this mean that every single person in the world has to hear? Uh, that would be difficult, as you're going to see in a moment. Or simply, does it mean that we have brought it to all four corners of the world? And, and believe me when I tell you, people all over the world have a sense that, that birth pains are reaching a peak. And, and, and the people there in India actually asked me impromptu to speak about that because we, we have to fly over two wars to get here, to get to India. And, um, and so we know that based on everything we're seeing and based on the technology that makes it possible for us to bring the gospel to all four corners of the world, the time is short. And I love the way the next uh, passage there, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, which Vince started out the session with, uh, because it's so obvious, uh, the way it, it, it's phrased, even though it, it um, well, it comes after Matthew 24, and it says, go therefore. Therefore, why? Therefore, why? Because the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world, and then the end will come. Therefore, go on out. Let's make this happen. And this is something that I think in the day in which we live should excite more and more believers. Yeah, there's a lot to do in our country. And, and if you devoted your life to simply ministering in your neighborhood, that would be enough. But the Lord will raise up among us people who will be willing to go to another part of the world. Because it's needed. It's needed. As Vince mentioned... Uh, as the Lord's timing would have it, and this was, not, this was not a plan. This was not a plan of my part. This is just when we were able to be able to do this particular session. But today is the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. And the church all over the world is starting to feel more and more persecution. We see what's going on right now with the anti-Semitism that is going on in the country and around the world. Here's the thing that, that dawned on me. Because there is such a, a, a vociferous and loud voice in favor of the Palestinian movement and viewing Israel as occupiers and apartheid state and all that. Lesser factions of the greater church, weaker factions of the greater church will continue to run after and embrace this idea of the replacement theology that is so uh, distorted and, and literally corrupted God's pro the understanding of God's promises to the Jews. 
And more and more of the greater Christendom will go after this idea that, that uh, the Jews are not a covenant people with the Lord. They are not uh, possessors of precious promises. And the Palestinian cause is the one they'll embrace. And what will also happen is that the portions of the greater church, like this church, that hold on fast to Israel as a covenant people who have the, the oldest land grant in the history of the world to be in that land... We will be marginalized and persecuted along with them. Anti-Semitism will become anti-Zionism. And we are Zionistic when it comes to Israel being back in the land because we know that's the exit ramp for us to be taken out of here. And so today is a day when we really should be celebrating exactly what we're doing here. Just a few words on the challenges of ministering in India and therefore the opportunities It's the largest country by population in the world, 1.4 billion people, 25 million babies born every year. It's like adding, just from India, it's like adding the country of Australia every year to the world's population, okay? 80% of the population is Hindu. 14% of the population is Muslim. You realize that India is the third largest population of Muslims in the world behind only Indonesia and Pakistan. And then 2.5% thereabouts. And the Christian numbers are are a lot more sketchy than the others. But about 28 million people in the country are Christians. 22 official languages. Over 120 recognized languages. We were at a severe disadvantage. Dan only knows about 110 of them. (laughs) But seriously, it is you, you move 50 miles down the road, you're in a whole different world. The opportunity is this. There are 2,300 unreached peoples in India. That is to say, no one has yet come there and said, let me tell you about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about the idea that your sins are forgiven. And so there's a vast opportunity there. The concentration of Christians in the country, it's not well distributed it's there's concentrations in the in the northeast there's concentrations in the south and in a lot of other places of the country uh, you become a christian at pain of death and so this is uh this is a, a, a challenge but it's also an opportunity additional challenges come from the political and socioeconomic issues of the country there's the bharatiya janata party bjp It's the party of the current Prime Minister, Narendra Modi. And this is a party that has as its principal objective to convert or to drive the country into the direction of being a Hindu-only country. And this this promotion of Hindu nationalism is, uh, is something that is encouraging a lot of the state governments to get ahead of the game and to actually put in place laws that make it illegal with strict and severe punishment for converting someone to another faith. So evangelism basically is outlawed in, I think it's about nine of the states right now. Um, Hindus see Christianity as a threat to Indian culture and to Indian history. And there's a very specific reason among many. First of all, of course, Hinduism is considered the oldest religion in the world. We, we know differently. But it is considered the oldest religion in the world. And it all... Uh, it's all over the country of India, obviously. Um, 
We, we've all heard many times about the Indian caste system, the way in which the society is ordered, and it has religious connotations because uh, reincarnation is a big part of the belief system there. And, uh, and, and so if you are of a low caste, it means it's something that happened in your earlier life or your previous life has destined you to that lower caste. And, and there's an awful lot about the societal structure of India that relates to that caste system. Along comes Christianity. And in Christianity, there is no hierarchy of worth in the eyes of Christ, right? Uh, even in, in the Roman times where the Jesus lived in, you have... Uh, Onesimus and Philemon, a slave and a, and a master, and they're both part of the church. And Paul's pleading on behalf of the slave to say to the owner, receive this brother as a brother. And if there's any debt that he owes you, I'll pay it. Jesus said there's no Greek, no barbarian, no, no Jew. We're all equal in the eyes of Christ. And the greater church of India treats all as precious in the sight of God as equal in the sight of God. And so this grades against uh, thousands of years of culture and religion. Um, The Constitution of India, if you were to read the individual rights section of the Constitution of India, would look very much like ours. Religious freedom is guaranteed in their Constitution. The question is, is it practiced in in the individual states, in the individual villages, And we found very clearly that that is not so. According to the missionary organization Open Doors, India is the 10th most dangerous country in the world in which to be a Christian. We hold our breath every time we cross the immigration border in India because they're going to ask questions sometimes. Why are you here? What do you do for a living? I'm a teacher. What do you teach? Middle Eastern history. Um, (laughs) <laughs> you got to be careful. And, uh, and so there's lots of challenges. There's lots of opportunities. Our mission on this trip was a couple. And Dan, you ought to start drifting on up here, brother. Where are you? You're hiding back there. Come on, man. Um, we, we, we basically were there to do three things. First of all, to bring encouragement to our missionary partners. I think Dan and Eva would, would back me on this, that this time, this was my fourth time with them. They've been many times, but of the four times I've been there, this was the first time where I saw real worry and concern on the faces of our missionary partners. Uh, it's not now just in these little pockets. As Prime Minister Modi's party, BJP, gathers momentum and there's a a crucial election coming up next year not just in this country but there too and there are those that feel like he will consolidate even more power right now they hold both houses of their parliament and and of course they have the prime minister and um there's an emboldenment on on the behalf of the hindu uh political faction in the country that let's get this done let's 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 go all the way on this and so there's real concern on the faces of our of our partners And we were there to encourage them. You have no idea how much they value you. This was not a trip of three people. This was a trip of this church. Your funds made it possible for that trip to happen. Your prayers. Your prayers. Let me just tell you about your prayers. For those of you who've traveled with me before and traveled especially in Israel and whatnot, you know I'm very prone to motion sickness. 
Very prone to motion sickness. I mean, if I watch my grandkid on, on a swing, I got to turn around, you know. I have to have drama, Dramamine with me. I call Dramamine Drama Queen because whenever I'm riding in a car in, in India, I have to sit in the front. And so it's really embarrassing when your host pulls up to pick you up at the airport with his wife in the front seat. And I say, ma'am, you're going to have to get in the back because <laughs> I got to sit there. But anyway, no sickness. No, no upset stomach, no, no deli belly, uh, no um, nothing. Got through the trip flawlessly. Uh, Dan did come down with something in the, middle of, uh, in the middle of the trip. I texted Vince. Vince put the word out to y'all. I saw the prayers on the, on the email and everything. And I'd say within about a day and a half, Dan was in fighting form once again. And so it was, it was just an amazing thing. But we were there to bring encouragement from this church to those churches, and it was, it was a blessing. Uh, I taught at four different pastor's conferences. I taught 25 times in two weeks. I fa- in fact, I figured it out. I retired at the end of June. The number of Sundays from then until now, I would have taught 25 times or so. So the Lord caught me up. Um, I, well, you'll see in a moment more of that. But, uh, and then we wanted to learn the challenges and the opportunities in India. The, the challenges are, are tremendous. Um, so our first stop was Delhi. And Dan, I really need you to come up here because I, wanna, I want you to talk a little bit. Where's that other microphone? Oh, there you go. Come on, Dan. You can do this, Dan. Dan sells himself short. I have to keep telling him, Dan, don't think like that. The, the guy is... Dan and Eva are the greatest spiritual partners I could ever imagine having. Just as Vince said, unique gifting in each one of them. And to just be, uh, you can stand next to me, I'm not going <laughs> to. We just spent two weeks together, give me a break. Just the bright lights. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> so we stopped first in Delhi. And um, we stopped there to see, um, there we go, to see these people, Ken and Reith Tuming. Uh, they are the partners that we have in Manipur. And um, Ken is the founder and president of Rayburn College and, uh, and the school associated with it. Dan, why don't you tell them a little bit about Ken and Reith and why it was so important for us to see, see them uh, on this trip. We had to bring them to Delhi because Manipur is a battle zone. Yeah, so God gave us an opportunity to go to Manipur last year with Pastor Dave. And it was one of the one of the uh, stops that really touched our heart. We spoke to high school students and college students and staff, and there was such a reception for the gospel mm. that they really wanted us to come back again to to have more of that ministry of the word. But it really broke our hearts that we couldn't go there anymore. We might not be able to ever go there anymore. Mm. And so we brought them, paid for their tickets, and they came to really visit with us about the conditions there. And Pastor Dave, I think you took a recording of yeah, some I did. of the conversation. I did. Right? And, and before we get there, I just wanted to say, God is so good. I mean, the way he orchestrates things. Here we are, we're talking to them. They feel like they're living in a battle zone. Uh, they could very easily lose their home. They could lose their university and their school because 
These, the, these two places, the university and the school, Jesus is everywhere. It's on the walls. It's taught in the schools. Ken's vision is that he is developing workplace and neighborhood evangelists. He's training them in life skills to hold jobs like accountants and engineers and whatnot. But each one of them is going to be carrying the gospel into those places. And that's really his vision as an evangelical one. So here we are. We're trying to encourage this fellow. And we're, we're in the restaurant, and uh, it's the restaurant in the, in the hotel we're staying at. And the wa- waitress is coming, and she's doing things. And Reith, uh, Ken's wife, notices the name of the young lady. Um, that's her right there be- between Eva and Dan. And she's from Manipur. And she come to that place because, obviously, she had to get out of there as well. And so it was nice that Reith and Dan were able to, or, uh, and Ken were able to encourage her. And she was a little light for them. And then as we're sitting there, Eva spots across the, the lobby um, a Mennonite couple. And she says, wow, what's the chances of a Mennonite couple <laughs> being in the middle of India? So Eva being Eva, she just goes over and starts talking to them and brings them over. And that's them right there. They're from Ohio. They've been ministering in Manipur for six years. And so just to have... These people come around Ken and Reith to say, hey, we're here for you. We feel what you're going through. We love you and all that. It was just, it was sweet. <laughs> it was great. So um, here, is, here is Ken, and I hope you can hear this. Um, we asked him to just speak to us for a few minutes about what happened there, what's going on there. So if, if it's too noisy because there was noise in the restaurant and you, you can't hear it well, Maybe we'll just cut it off and we'll kind of summarize it, but let's give it a try. So Ken and uh, Pastor Dave and I visited Ken with Eva last year, about this time, and we were so blessed to minister to the uh, college students, the high school students. Now this year we cannot go there because the airport is closed and all this conflict. So Ken, we invited him and his wife to come meet us in Delhi to tell us what they're experiencing and their situation. So they're going to talk to us. So we can continue? Yeah, yeah. Well, this, this is the time, uh, if things are normal, uh, this is the time when Dave and Dan and Eva would be with us in Manipur. But because of the ethnic violence and the violence against uh, Christians, uh, we, they cannot come. Rather, we came here and spent time with them. And uh, because of the many prayers around the world, the ethnic violence that started uh, on May the 3rd is still continuing. Uh, God saved us, God keep us safe, but many, many of our people died. Uh, so far, uh, more than 200 people were killed, and uh, more than uh, 350 churches were burned down, and hundreds of villages were burned down, and people came out of the villages just barehanded, empty-handed. They lost their homes, they lost the village, they lost their churches, and they're coming into our district. And we have right now in our own district more than 25,000 uh, refugees or internally displaced people, persons, and we're busy taking care of them right now. Um, who are the si- the two sides of the conflict? That, that is causing all this violence? Well, basically, tribals and non-tribals. Tribals are basically Christians, and non-tribals are basically Hindus. So this is also ethnic violence. At the same time, it is also religious violence. 
because the tribals are Christians, and I said many times that if we were Hindus, the government would have treated us uh, differently uh, because we're Christian, churches were burned down. Some people want to deny that this is not a religious uh, conflict, but it is indeed religious. It's Christians who are persecuted, Christians who are uh, killed, and, and it's, churches it's, were burned down. And it's clear to you that both the state government, state of Manipur, and the, the federal government uh, are, if, if not directly encouraging this, they're complicit, they're, they're allowing this to happen. Well, the central government is very complacent and rather encouraging them by their silence. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop it there, but, but what he goes on to say is that um, police forces are divided. So some of the police are on one side, some of the police are on the other. Um, the, when he refers to the tribal people, that's an ethnic tribe, but that tribe has had the gospel brought to it, has received it. Uh, the non-tribals who want the land, want, you know, everything always comes down to land, it seems. But they, they want to just push these people out. They want to annihilate them, essentially. And so this is going on in their midst, uh, again, with the, the uh, winds of, uh, at the back of BJP, uh, that nationalist party. Uh, it can only get worse. And so one of the specific prayer requests I would ask you to pray is, is that the, the, that party, the BJP party, gets out of power and they return to constitutional basics. Um, our next stop is Bagdogra. This has been our longest partner and uh, the one that I believe has the most comprehensive ministry. In fact, Dan, if you could just say a few words about all the activities that, be, uh, that um, our friends in Bagdogra have. So this uh, ministry is about 35 years they've been there. Um, he is from Kerala, one of the southern states. And they, they run two schools that they collect actually a tuition fee for the students. Education is very important in India. So a lot of people are willing to pay for an English medium education a fee. So they use all the income from the two schools to establish missionary teams, uh, evangelism teams to reach unreached people groups. So that's the focus, and that's sort of how they're funded, funding their ministry into the small areas of uh, that area, district. We arrived there during uh, one of their huge uh, religious festivals, Durga Puja. Puja simply means festival. Durga is one of their goddesses, um, one of her features. You can't quite see it. Uh, this was a shrine that was set up in our hotel for the, for the Puja, and uh, she's, got, she's got eight arms. So if you're ever driving behind somebody and they go to make a left turn and forearms come out the window, <laughs> you're behind the goddess Durga. And, and uh, they got these little uh, temporary shrines they set up alongside the road. And so this was going on while we were there. Uh, one, the first stop that we made, you saw some of it in the, in the video, was the child, or Children Blessing Center and School. And Dan, why don't you say a few words about that place? So this um, <clears throat> ministry to the children, there are, about, uh, there are lots of children in these communities. Uh, obviously, you can't help every one of them. They've selected about 300 kids. And many of them don't have parents. 
Right. And during COVID, they lost a lot of their parents. So some of them are orphans. Some of them, uncles and aunts, are taking care of them. This is a day program. They come, come into the property. Uh, during the day, they get served one meal a day, plus tutoring, educational side that happens. So and, of course, the gospel. They, yeah. Otherwise, they would be dropouts. And Christ has given. His love is shared with these uh, students. Uh, one of the things that was brought to our attention, um, you know, with resources being limited, uh, and as Dan mentioned, they get one good meal a day from this program, um, which for a lot of those kids might be the only meal they have in that day. Uh, right now, they are feeding 250 kids a day. They have an opportunity to feed 50 more. And, um, and so we talked about it a little bit with them. And there's, you know, you, you can feed one of these kids for about a dollar a day. And, um, and so uh, there's a need there. Uh, I think those 50 kids could be, could be fed for a year with about $18,000. And so one of the things that as we came back, uh, we were kind of ruminating about is the possibility of making it possible uh, for people in the church who want to, much like Compassion International used to do, associate yourself with one of these kids and be able to help in the support to feed that child for a year or however. Um, so we're going to discuss it with Vince and with uh, the rest of the elder group and, um, and might come back to you with that opportunity. But we'd really like to help these kids. Uh, when, you, when you have the opportunity to see them and, uh, and to understand how important that day is to these kids, not just the, the physical feeding, but the spiritual feeding. I, I, I didn't, I, you know, I had to make decisions about what to show and what not to show. But we've got video of these kids being, being taken through biblical songs, you know, kid songs. For, they are so on fire for what uh, they're receiving in the Lord. And, and this is the other thing to understand about Hindus. A lot of the Hindus there, they're Hindus by culture. They're Hindus... Uh, for societal reasons and whatnot, but a lot, probably the majority of the Hindus in India don't understand fully the theology of, of their faith, just like, frankly, a lot of Christians in our country don't either. And so their readiness for the village, people in the villages, their readiness to receive the gospel is, is great. It's not like every single Hindu who hears the gospel, you know, sticks their hand in your face and says, shut up, I'm a Hindu, I don't want to hear this. They genuinely want to hear it. And so um, opportunities like this are just too good to miss. Um, the next thing that we did was we went through uh, a couple of village churches. In previous trips, we've been able to spend more time in the villages. This particular trip, because of all the uh, pastor conferences, we only had one day uh, to go around to village churches. Uh, this would be uh, two typical churches that PGT has planted. The one on the uh, left there is a church run by Pastor Raymond. And some of you might remember Pastor Raymond. Uh, a few years back, 2019, we learned that his wife was suffering with breast cancer. And this church actually provided the funds for her to have surgery for her cancer. Unfortunately, or fortunately, however you look at it, the Lord took her home. And now Raymond is raising a boy and a girl, a teenage boy, teenage girl. And it's the classic case where the teenage girl is just uh, doubling down and, and studying and doing extremely well. And the boy is a little lost and is a little bit in a wayward situation. And so uh, we were praying over him and for him. 
Uh, but these are typical churches that PGT plants. I think there's, what, 300 and some? Yeah. So um, if you wanted the best uh, comparison of PGT that, to something we know, uh, Mom and Joseph, who is the patriarch of this ministry, is a Chuck Smith. I mean, his entirety of his ministry, it's all very uh, interrelated and, and self-helping. He's got schools uh, that feed into the seminary, that feeds into pastors that go out in the villages. He, he's creating evangelistic teams that go out and, and share the gospel. And, um, and then, of course, we had the pastor's conference. And um, this is actually pastors and ministry leaders. It was a two-day conference. And this was the track that I taught in uh, that particular conference. Five sessions all around the theme of spiritual encouragement uh, and, and ministering in the, in the last days that we live in. So we started out with the importance of sound expository preaching and drove that home. Uh, secondly, the profile of spiritual leadership in the church, which um, is needed there. One of the big needs that we were told by every single stop we made is that the pastors that are pastoring these churches, they understand the transaction of salvation very well. They understand salvation by grace through faith. They understand the need for repentance. Uh, They understand the need to go out into all the world and to share the gospel. But their understanding of the foundations of the faith is relatively weak. And so what these pastors need is deep teaching. They need to be taught deeply themselves so that they in turn can go out to their villages and teach that way. So those first two uh, sessions were very, very important. The third session, the healthy church body. This is all about if you're feeding your sheep right, what would they look like? What, What would your church body look like? What would the older women be like? What would the older men be like? What would they be doing? What would the young folks that are coming up in your church be like if they are receiving sound teaching and good spiritual leadership? And uh, for those first three sessions, Titus chapters 1 and 2 was the text. And then session 4 was all about ministering in the midst of persecution. Very timely, very topical for them. And uh, frankly, I believe it is for our our churches here in America as well. And then finally, revival. And I I taught a similar message here during May um, just to fire up the people to say, look, uh, you see things changing in the world. You, you get an uneasiness about the way things are going. You see how the world is becoming a darker, more violent place. Now is the time to allow the Lord to light the fire in a way that can transform your home, transform your church, transform your village, transform your nation. And so we were all about that. Um, this is Muncie Mammon. He is the son of the patriarch of... of uh, PGT. Um, he's got a, a segment here. I'm just trying to watch the time. Um, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on from that. But essentially what he is saying now, they're in the Northeast. You saw they're that star in the upper right. And in that area, relatively speaking, being able to share the gospel has been uh, fairly easy and without a lot of um, violence. And it's been a really solid place. And PGT and other ministries have made solid grounds there. But if we were to hear what Muncie has to say, he'd say, the winds of change are blowing in our face. And uh, we're starting to become more and more concerned with uh, the movements on a national level, but also the movements, this is West Bengal State, and West Bengal kind of uh, comes 
it is at this very moment. Comes down the side of, you know, there's what they call the chicken neck and that little piece off to the right. But then if you go right down the right side of the main part of India, that's all West Bengal State, where Calcutta is, where Mother Teresa ministered. And, and that's been a pretty good hotbed of Christianity, but things are changing there. And it's becoming more and more of a place uh, for concern in the ministry. So our next stop was Madurai. And uh, there we, um, our hosts were Pastor Joshua. You see him there standing next to me uh, in the, on the left. And then uh, John and Prem Bushy on the right. Uh, they're over there on the right side of that other picture. Tell them a little bit about John. Uh, <clears throat> When I went to school in Minnesota, John was my roommate, and uh, so Lord touched his heart, and uh, long story short, God uh, sent him to India, and he's married um, one of the missionaries' daughters from there, and now they went back after working for Microsoft for many years. They went back to work uh, among the community of Irlas. They are a backward community and very unreached people group, so they work among those people group there. And so we still keep in touch. And he said, you know, we'd love to see Pastor Dave come and teach here. So that's kind of the, one of the first times that we've been there. Dan's too modest. Okay. John told me his testimony. John was a hellraiser. John's the same age as me. He lived through the 60s and 70s. And he was right there with the rest of us, you know. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. That was his life. All of a sudden, he's spending every day with this guy in a, in a dorm room in Minnesota. And he gets saved. Dan leads him to the Lord, and he gets saved, not just a little ways, all the ways. Changed his whole life. He's been over there ministering, super, super guy. His wife, awesome, sister in the Lord. Uh, Brother Joshua over there, now you see, this is a, what's known as CSI, uh, Church of Southern India. It's part of the, the Anglican Communion, Okay. And Pastor Joshua is ordained in that church, but if Pastor Joshua were with you, he's one of us. He's not a high church guy in in the way he's made, uh, but in order to be able to tie in with the ministry of that church, and this is St. George's Church in Metairie, it's the biggest, oldest church in the the town, and... um, And the thing I love about the greater church in India is is there's no, like, sometimes you see the church in America and it's silos. There's the Baptist silo, the Methodist silo, you know, and and they don't have a lot to do with each other. There, because they're such a minority and they're they're under the pressure all the time, there's a lot more fellowship among the churches. And in spirit of that, Brother Joshua, okay, so he ministers sometimes at St. George's on a Sunday morning. Other times he's out in the village churches. Uh, Super guy. Um... And on our way there, we got there on a Saturday night. On our way there, Dan said, oh, I talked to John, and um, you're going to preach two services tomorrow. I had no idea. Had nothing, you know, didn't, was not preparing for that or anything. Uh, and so, lo and behold, there I am preaching in this Anglican church. Uh, the guy that's sitting in front of me there to my right, or to the right of me, is the pastor of the church. You see him in the other picture. He's the guy in all the white robes. And uh, it's kind of intimidating to be preaching in someone else's church. It would be like Vince is sitting right here. And I'm, you know, and there he is. And, uh, but it was a cool experience, to be honest. Uh, it really kind of brought me back because I was brought up in a Catholic church. And then after this first service, this first service is actually the bigger one, communion, the whole nine yards. 
They brought me in the back room uh, with the, the pastor brought me back there and their elders are there. And I, you probably can't see it, but the guy in the far right of the picture is holding a big wad of cash. They were, they were counting the offering. And it's like, oh, okay. Uh, cool. And uh, so anyway, it was, a, it was a great experience. And then um, we did um, same, the same track of, of Bible studies there. At the two, there were two different conferences we did. We did one the first day, and we did four of those sessions. I think the one we left out was the middle one. And then the same thing on the second day uh, at a whole different uh, church. A whole di- it was actually a hotel conference room. And, uh, or no, it was, it was the church. And uh, so we did two conferences with two different groups of pastors. By the way, in the course of the, the trip, we, we spoke to probably 500 pastors and church leaders. Okay, and taught them this track and another one that I'll show you in a minute. Um, and so that the one on the left was the first pastor conference. The one on the right was uh, the second one. Uh, good translators at all of those. Uh, our next stop was in Hyderabad. Uh, and you can see we're making a lot of tracks around the country there. Hyderabad is where Good News Bible College and Seminary exists. And uh, they've been a partner of ours now for about the last three or four years. It is a, a ministry that that has uh, bricks and mortar classrooms and teaches that way, but then it also has uh, a really good uh, learning management system online where they put all their teachings online that anyone in India, indeed the world, can access. Uh, These are the folks that I did an entire study of the book of Revelation in 33 installments uh, with them, and that's on that's on the (laughs) the internet. You'll see me speaking Telugu, and uh, it's funny, it's like those old spaghetti westerns that uh, Clint Eastwood used to do. Uh, but anyway, um, we, there I taught the same five sessions you saw in the previous two uh, stops that we made. But then I did a second section of teaching that they specifically asked for. They wanted teaching in both Daniel and Revelation. And, you know, Billy Judson is their leader guy. And he said, we want you to teach the book of Daniel and the Revelation. I said, uh, how many months do we have? <laughs> and so, so the, uh, the challenge was, how could I give them a meaningful study in those two books in, 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 a, you know, in a reasonable amount of time? And so what I did, I took the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Crazy place to start for a prophecy study, but it's actually a good place to start. Uh, because I wanted them to see what's known as the meta-narrative of the Bible. Bible, 66 books, 40 different authors, deals with morality, deals with uh, geography, it deals with science, it deals with poetic stuff, it deals with theology. But really, it's one cohesive work. And it has a dominant theme. It is the redemption of mankind. It's, it's, cre- it's creation, the fall. Redemption, consummation. That's, that's, that's the Bible in totality. And so I started them literally with God creating man and woman. Human beings living in perfect harmony with God, perfect fellowship. The fall, the original lie, you can be as God. The, the, the manifestation of sin in the heart of men, Cain kills Abel. God wipes the earth out with a flood but keeps a remnant. Evil begins to wax worse and worse. 
culminating with the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel becomes the paradigm for the way in which human beings approach the world until the very end. What is it? It's human beings coming together. God decided there would be spread out, you know, spread out, subdue the earth, multiply. God had clearly in mind nation states. Instead, at the Tower of Babel, everybody's gathered together. We will be as God. We will build a tower under the heavens. We will be above God. This becomes the dominant idea of humanity. And then we go to Daniel chapter 2. And then we see the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, we see four great world empires, each of which has that same recurrent theme. We will ascend unto the clouds. We will be like the Most High. We will rule the world. And then we went to Daniel chapter 7. Lo and behold, here is the same paradigm expressed in four beasts, which actually has a fifth. The fourth is kind of bifurcated. Near-term prophecy, far-term prophecy. And we learn a whole lot more about this final world leader, Antichrist. Then we go to Revelation chapter 13, and we learn all about this final world leader. And then we go to Revelation 19, and we see the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. And so that was the way in which we did it. Uh, I was scared to death to do this study. It's really, really thick. It's really, really a lot of moving parts. You need to kind of pay attention or you get lost in it. And I was so afraid that it would just kind of fall over on its own weight. But the Lord just blessed it. And um, the feedback from that particular study was, was really, really encouraging. And uh, it was something that I think, well, they had never heard, you know, they had never heard a lot from Daniel or Revelation, but they had never really seen the big picture. And that's sometimes where we go wrong with, with prophecy studies is we get so into the, the nitty-gritty of a particular book or passage, we forget how it relates to the overall narrative of the Bible, which is why a lot of pastors don't teach it. Um, but uh, thank God for this guy here, Brother Peter. He was the translator that worked with me on the 33 sessions of Revelation. He was our translator here. He did, Dan and I, uh, just a great service in uh, translating. He himself is uh, heading down the track of being a pastor uh, we did many cool things there. Uh, there was a lot more that we could talk about in terms of uh, just the one-on-one -on -one ministry with the different people. Eva encouraging all kinds of the ladies there. Uh, Dan um, encouraging so many people there. Uh, we had two different question-answer sessions where anybody in the audience could ask anything about anything we were doing. And, um, and, it was, and then we took, all, we took communion together. It was a beautiful moment of uh, breaking bread and it was literal bread um, and then we finished that conference you can't see it here but everybody in the conference was around the room joining hands and we just prayed to close the conference which basically closed the trip for us and um, it was uh, this, is, this is a group photo of uh, many of the conference attendees that were in Hyderabad it was Breathtaking. I mean, um, I got an email <laughs> yesterday from Billy inviting us back. Um, and uh, don't know about that, but it was, it was life-changing for me personally. Um, the feedback we got from the people there was that it was a great lift in their ministries. And there were a lot of young people. Uh, one in particular came up and told me how excited he was 
to get into his own ministry and how much he felt the Lord's pull on his life to take him into the pastorate. And, and man, that's what it's all about. And, and I mean this when I say the Indians are full of enthusiasm for the Lord. They have a hunger for the word of God. They need to be taught deeper. They need to be taught deeper. They, 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 they are of the same mind as us in terms of the value of comprehensive learning in the entire counsel of God. They just need help with that. Um, how can you be involved? Well, first of all, this is International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church. The persecuted church expands by the minute. More and more and more of the corners, sections of greater Christendom are becoming oppressed people, becoming persecuted people. You folks have only seen the beginning. Get around. Talk to some people who have come from these other churches. And they will, they will tell you that life is changing for them rapidly. Job opportunities that don't materialize or that go away. Lost jobs. Homes that uh, they can't move into certain places or they lose their homes. Uh, people who treat them roughly. Uh, people who shut them down and shut them up. That's coming. And so pray for the persecuted church. Pray for the Church of India. The opportunity there is enormous. I mean, it's enormous. Dan and Eva make fun of me because when we're in the car, I like to film the street scenes. And I could sit here and show you hours, a video of those street scenes. But what, what captivates you is it's so different from what you know. And the vast majority, maybe everybody you see in that frame, not saved. Every one of them heading for certain and eternal destruction. It's heartbreaking. Give to worthy missions. I've never made a practice from this pulpit to make specific pleas for money. But I want you to know, a dollar in India would blow your mind with what it can do. It can feed a kid for a day. Put him in a school where he healed the gospel. Um, we were able to go because of you. you. We were able to go because of you. We were able to do everything that we did because of you. And that's what the church body is about. There's different, you know, parts of the body that touch different things. But it all works together to make things happen. Pray about being actively involved. You know, maybe there's one of you in this room that one day will go to another country, share the gospel. Maybe there's two, maybe there's five. If the Lord's putting that call in your life, be sure of the calling because there'll be days when you'll be scared to death. Honestly, I think if you asked all three of us in a sober moment, we'd say, didn't want to go. Didn't want to go. And then a war, you know, we already got our tickets. We already got our visas. And then a war starts in Israel. And we're going to the third largest Muslim population in the world. Go anyway. Do it anyway. If the Lord puts that call in your life, go. Do it. So... Dan, Eva, do you want? Do you want to? Do you guys want to share any um, any thoughts or feelings before we close this? Because we want to hear from you guys. Okay, I would I would uh, kind of say a couple of things. <clears throat> this this guy here, he's, he's just so much fun traveling around. And uh... <laughs> oh look, he's motion sick again. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. That, that was that was sort of our highlight traveling <laughs> that day. <laughs> no, seriously, I mean that was cool. Um, again, this is not about us. This is not 
this is not us. This is God working through the church, and a lot of you sacrificially give for these ministries, and um, that makes it possible for us to go. And uh, this Child Blessing Center, a dollar a day provides one good meal. I've never seen kids eat so much rice in my life, you know? I mean, obviously they're starved. That's their first meal. Um, it provides for the for a good meal, education, some clothes, and medical needs. So it's pretty similar to compassion in that in that sense. Um, the 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 third thing is, I hear testimonies of people. You know, so one one guy and mother. I I said, tell me your story. And he he came up to me. He said, I was a Hindu, and I wanted to marry my uncle's daughter, just to kill her. Because there was land dispute among the families. Their hatred was so huge. So he takes her to a well to push her in because she can't swim. And, and somehow he says, somebody pushed me back and I couldn't, I couldn't push my wife. God touches this guy. And he has three small churches ministering mainly for Hindus. He, he was a Hindu convert. And that's the kind of work God is amazingly doing here. Just picking people that you would have never thought this guy is going to be a pastor material. And to these other kind of people, Pastor Dave gets to speak and minister, right? Mm -hmm. So the impact of, there's probably these 500 people represent two to three churches each. There's not one pastor pastoring one church. It's always multiple churches. So, you know, you, you figure that out. It's 1,500 churches congregation-wise. It's probably six, seven, eight thousand people. So that's the kind of ministry that God enabled us to do. In addition to that, uh, all of Pastor Dave's teaching notes were translated in all the local languages: Hindi, uh, Telugu, and Tamil. Tamil yeah. And so these people are going to have these notes with them to go over, and they were encouraged by their leadership to go and teach that to their congregation. So the impact of this. This year's trip was um, uh, multiplied in, in many, many ways. So, in Hyderabad, uh, they made it into a book, you know, because there was what? There was uh, 25, eight, there was like 60, eight. over 60 pages of notes, probably 65, 70 pages of notes. They put, they had an English book and they had a, in, in uh, Hyderabad, a Telugu book. And in the other places, they just did the local language there. Um, so it was, it was impressive what they did yeah. with it. So, you know, during all this persecution, as times get difficult, a lot of, the Lord is building his church, definitely, and people are coming. Uh, but it's it's really tough road ahead. Yeah. Uh, Don, I often think about your work among international students. You know, this church has such a huge impact on global, globally, in a sense. Yeah. And I heard this week from a Middle Eastern pastor, 980 people baptized from Muslim faith in the last year alone. So you're going to hopefully hear some of these things in the coming weeks. And uh, God is doing amazing things he in is. spite of us and through us sometimes, right? Praise the Lord. Well, we need to wrap this up because we're going to go into communion. Please hang with us. I apologize. This is a lot longer than normal. But, um, you know, I wanted you to know that the return on your investment was huge. So, um, Vince.
Amen. And that was uh, just such a great report. And just want to pr give praise to God for what he's doing, the time there, um, everything. Truly, truly blessing. And I encourage you, talk to Dan, talk to Ava, talk to Pastor David, have conversations with them, and, and talk to them about their journey of taking the gifts God's given them to use them obediently on this trip, because I think it's something we all need to do. So talk to one another and go there. Uh, now, before we um, depart for today, we are going to have time for communion because we uh, here we do communion in the beginning of each month, the first Sunday. And before we do that, I want to have us um, look in the Gospel of John where we are studying and we're going to look at John 19 and the pace that we're going through the Gospel of John. We won't get there for a little while, so we can go there now and then go there again in months. Wonderful. And before we do that, while we're um, going, I just want to offer a word of prayer for everything that we just discussed with India also. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the work that was able to take place for your glory over those few weeks, Lord God. Thank you for the health that you gave. Thank you for the traveling mercies that you gave. Thank you for the protection. Thank you for the way that you orchestrated every single detail of this trip for your glory, Lord. And even in the story um, at the hotel with the folks from Manipur, Lord, the reminder of how you are continually orchestrating each part of our lives, Lord, and we just need to obediently follow you. We need to trust and obey, as that old hymn says, Lord God. And we just pray for every seed that was planted on that trip, Lord, through the conversations that Dan and Ava and Pastor David had through the teachings of Pastor David, everything that took place, Lord God, that it would bear fruit for your kingdom, Heavenly Father, and that each and every single person in the moments of discouragement or whatever may come, Lord, they would be reminded of the seeds that were planted, Lord, and continue running the race for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we come to communion, John uh, chapter 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. So when we look at this, we see after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, his life, the calling that he had, what he came to do was already done. Where we were in John chapter four, we saw Jesus say, my will is to come to do the work and finish the work that my father gave me to do. And at that moment, he's there where he is finished and were all things accomplished. The offer that's needed as a substitute for sin has been accomplished. And he quenches the thirst that we all have. But from that moment and in that moment, he is the one who thirsts. And the hyssop that's put on and goes to his mouth, that would be so important to the Jewish people remembering the Passover lamb. Remembering now that there is that old sacrifice, but now there is the new sacrifice in Jesus. The ultimate sacrifice. The one that gives us a bridge to salvation. And on there, he says, it is finished. One word, tetelestai, peace, faith, God. Now a bridge is given for us to be able to have that through Jesus Christ. It is finished. What's finished? The promises, the prophecies that were to come are finished. And the bridge to the prophecies to come is finished. It's built. It's there. The sacrifices and ceremonies of the priesthood finished. No longer needed. 
to have access. There's one man between God, the Father. There's one mediator, Jesus Christ. Perfect obedience to God is finished through Jesus Christ on the cross. The satisfaction of God's justice, death for sin, finished on the cross. The power of Satan, sin, death, finished on the cross. That's what we come to the table for remembrance of. The cross is life. If you don't know Jesus, if you're sitting here and it's your first time in a church and you're like, I don't really know who this is, the cross is life. It's eternal life. It's where we recognize I'm depraved, I'm useless, I have no hope, I need a savior. Jesus, come into my life, take the wheel, let me be who you need me to be for your glory alone. The cross for the believer needs to be a place of perpetual surrender. Daily, saints. We looked at it yesterday, men, at the men's breakfast. When we think about the cross, when we see the cross, we need to remember what our heavenly father did. And we need to daily surrender. Daily come to that place saying, I'm yours, take me. So what we're going to be doing, we're going to sing a worship song together. Uh, I surrender. And worship team, come on up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and we're, we're going to have I Surrender going, and I just want to encourage you to take time before you come up to think about the lyrics that you're singing, to go to that place of surrender, of putting everything down before him. And as we come up, and again, we'll be singing while you're taking communion, um, join us when you're done, take that time with yourself, but truly... Let this be a song and a prayer that you come back to daily, saints. Remembering it's finished on the cross. He's done the work. You're new creation in him. But we need to surrender daily. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of the cross, Lord. Thank you for salvation, Lord. And thank you for this gift of communion, Lord, that we get to remember this sacrifice, Heavenly Father. We get to remember that you paved the way for eternal life, to the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, to being able to run this race for your glory. So we thank you, Lord, for this gift. We love you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name.